Hi everyone, Jasper here. Just a note to let you know that today's episode contains some adult themes. <laughs> I told you not to let me laugh on there. Oh, I got ya. I'm going to put it in. That'll be the opening track in the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Spinning the Beats. That's awesome. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Spilling the Beans, episode three, coming to you from the studio at Ground Control once again. But this time, it's not just me here, I'm here with Tina Harris. Hey Tina. Hey, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. And uh, Tina is here because Tina told a story at our event in February, and that's the story that you will be hearing on this episode. Very exciting stuff, that. Isn't it? Yeah. Let's hear it. Okay, I'm going to put my fingers in my ears, though. Okay. So I came to Paris for three months, 25 years ago. I have a lovely French husband. I have two half-French kids. I have a half-French dog. Um, We live in the 18th in we have a garden and a tiny little flat we're all crammed in and um and i just have a really nice life here i love it i came here and um and i like my life and about six months ago i got a message from my ex's adult daughter on twitter and she said i'm so happy to have found you i'd love to catch up but i can understand if you don't want to Um, That took me back. I was living in LA. I was signed to Quincy Jones Music and they would send me to, um, on these writing trips to New York. And I'd stay in hotels and have these great trips. And um, Paul was, uh, the names have been changed, huh? Um, (laughs) And Paul worked at one of the places that I would always go to. And first he'd bring me a coffee. We'd go for a drink, stocky guy, funny, really nice. And uh, it became a thing. So when I'd go to New York, I'd see him. And it became such a thing, I decided that I would move to New York and move in with him. First thing, I rang my girlfriend, Diana. I said, "Um, I'm going to move in. I'm going to drive across the country. She said, oh, my God, I'd love to. We should rent a convertible get some big hats and Jackie O glasses. And I said, that's great, but I decided I'd probably be safer doing it with my friend Valdez. So we packed up the car. The funny thing is he had, I mean, I had my my things in the car, but turned up with this bag of CDs, right? This was a while ago. And and he, we've got, we're, we're driving across the country. He's got a backpack with underwear, basically, and a toothbrush and a big bag of CDs. And we took to Route 66. It was going to be this road trip, right? Um, One of the most extraordinary moments was us leaving really early, coming through New Mexico at 6 o'clock in the morning, listening to Keith Jarrett live in Cologne. And we didn't, the, the, the sun was coming up over these mesas, and not a word was spoken. 
just absolute silence and this music and this light, right? Just an amazing friendship moment. And um, these are slipping down. I'll put them on. Um, and then we got to uh, the top of Texas, the tippy top of Texas. We stopped at this truck stop, good old boys with rifles in there, just looking at us going in, looking at us as we came out. I turned to him, I said, we've been friends for years and I just realized how dark your skin is. We need to get the fuck out of Texas. <laughs> and he put on Prince P control and we just jammed to pussy control. He was manning the mirrors for the police and I just put my foot down and we just drove like mad. I've actually never um, seen the middle of America like that. Um, went through Memphis. I can tell you that there's a place in Memphis where it says the world's worst barbecue. I thought it was a joke and it's actually not. <laughs> it actually is horrific. Um, we got to around Virginia when Paul stopped answering his phone. Um, I did what any self-respecting neurotic Jew would do. I just kept calling. <laughs> over and over and over and over again, and he did not pick up his phone. Um, who did I call? I called his work. They said, oh, we're happy to hear from you. We haven't seen him for two days. If you hear from him, have him call. I called his mother, who said, yeah, he's a big boy. He's done this before. He'll turn up. Um, and I called my friend Diana in LA and um, she said, well, when you get to the apartment, don't go in on your own in case he's done something drastic. And she has been sober for a long time and said, and by the way, here's a phone number of a friend in New York, call it and I suggest you go to 12-step meeting for people who are affected by other people's drinking and drug use. I said, okay. <laughs> we, we decided to stop in Virginia. We went to the apartment and he wasn't there, but he turned up not long after we did, looking like death on a cracker. Um, eyes puffy, face, it was like his voice was cracked and uh, apologizing and said that me coming was just so overwhelming. So I basically moved in and moved out and went and stayed with a girlfriend. Uh, I went to this 12-step meeting. I walked in. Um, people took one look at me, handed me a box of tissues, and I just worked my way through the tissues. I now know that this was in a church on the Upper East Side that people refer to as Our Lady of the Overdressed. Um, and I stayed with my girlfriend for a few weeks and Paul was apologetic and he's gonna really do better and he's gonna, and I moved back in with him. And it was pretty good, you know. There were, um, there were some red flags. Um, I like to say that I used to take red flags as just things you can decorate with. <laughs> you know, so while things were good, the phone would get cut off. And while things were good, the rent wasn't paid, even though um, 
anyway. And I was going to my meetings, but he was not going to his. So the low point, um, you'll probably all end up agreeing that this is just a low point, red flag ignoring or not. Um, he came to pick me up 11 o'clock at night at work and um, we're driving along the West Side Highway and he turned to me and said, um, I'm really sorry, I can't do this. Got out of the car, went into, a, got into a cab and went uptown to score, I assume. And I drove home. Um, I don't know if it was raining or if my eyes were raining, but uh, I somehow got home and pacing and crying. And at two o'clock in the morning, I called someone who had given me their phone number. I called a stranger at two o'clock in the morning. I'm half English and half American. The American side might do that, but the English side was horrified. <laughs> and she picks up, she goes, oh. I said, hi, this is Tina. Paul just, I, I really need to talk. She says, hold on, let me just wake up. And she got back on the phone and said to me, I'm so glad you called. I said, no, you're not. She said, no, I am. If I ever need to call someone at 2 o'clock in the morning, I now know who I can call. <laughs> and she talked me through it that night. Um, but I was done. I was done, done, you know. <laughs> where do you go from there? Um, even for me, where do you go from there? And um, I moved out. I got my own apartment. I got this great apartment in Weehawken with a view of the city. It was absolutely magical. And, um, but he never stopped like calls and trying and um, and one day I got a call from my brother in California and he said, you're not gonna believe this. Um, he called me and said, he said, I thought I was watching some old Western with John Wayne or something, but he called me and said, you know, this town is not big enough for the two of us. <laughs> you need to get your sister to move. And, um, and my girlfriend, Samantha, happened to be in the picture and said, I think you should move. I had one friend saying, you are not gonna let him tell you what to do. And then Samantha's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> Nicole Simpson. Um, and I put myself in storage and started couch surfing for a few weeks. Um, I was scared he was gonna show up because there were calls and he was calling friends and he was calling. And um, I was scared he would come to my meetings. This is the only place you can talk about something so shameful. Um, and Samantha actually said, don't keep it a secret. You need to tell everyone. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. She said, if you don't, he'll just call someone and say, oh, do you have Tina's new number? And what I found when I shared this with people is that every single person has either gone through it, knows someone who's been through it within two degrees of separation, something similar to this. Um, so I was scared he would come to my meetings, so I started going to meetings at the Gay and Lesbian Center. I figured he wouldn't find me there. People would introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Susan. Hi, I'm Jack. And I'd say, hi, I'm Tina, I'm straight. <laughs> um, at the end of the meeting, a very large woman said to me, would you like me to walk you back to your apartment? And, um, and took me home in safety. She said, there's another meeting tomorrow. Do you want me to come and pick you up? I was like, yes, this is brilliant. I moved to another friend's place in Brooklyn and there I received a call from um, Paul's therapist. And uh, I'd never spoken to this person in my life. And he said, it's funny, it's a long time ago and 
you know, you tell stories and sometimes the way you tell them change. The, the words from this call don't change. And he said, he came in to pay a bill. I sat him down and talked to him. And I'm sufficiently alarmed to break confidentiality that he's having homicidal thoughts about you. So I still had one girlfriend going, you can't let him bully you. <laughs> and my girlfriend, Samantha's like, are you crazy? She's living in Paris. She said, come to Paris. I spoke to my brother. He's like, I know you don't have the money. I'll give you the miles. And I booked a, um, a ticket to come here for three months. Moved in with Samantha and her husband. Poor thing. I'm sure he, he said nothing. He knew he couldn't say anything. <laughs> she, she's super tidy. I'm super not. She said, I don't care what you do in that room. Just keep the door shut. <laughs> she got me a phone on her SFR account and just set me up, right? I stayed for months. And then one day I thought, I don't want to leave Paris. I love it here. And... Um, I went walking. It was me who discovered Batignolles. When I, when I got lost, I was the only person wearing pumas. Everyone else was 104, <laughs> and um, it was me. So you can all say thank you to me. And I found this apartment. It was a chambre de bonne on the sixth floor, 700 a month, with a view of Sacré-Cœur, two working fireplaces, and this little bathtub that if you put your knees in the right position, you could actually have a bath. And um, my brother said to me when he visited, he said, I love your toilet. It's the only place where you can actually sit, flush, and wash your nuts at the same time. <laughs> anyway, it's this fabulous apartment. And, um, and I would date. And I never gave anyone a door code. Even um, the little Frenchman that I started dating, um, who's sitting over there with our daughter, I, I, he's like, what's your door code? I'm like, it's broken. Um, I never gave anyone the door code. And I used to have, um, I love my little life, right? But I used to have this dream that I was in a single, a single level um, house like in LA. And I would close the windows and the doors and I'd go and I'd get to the, by the time I got to the other end of the house, some of the windows or the doors would be open and I'd have to go back again and close them. So it was like you could always get in. I'd get messages um, through other people and one day, I was at my cousin's house in London, coming down the stairs, and their phone rings. Don't pick up other people's phones. And um, it goes to their, what is it called even? Answering machine? <laughs> Answering machine. And as I'm coming down the stairs, I hear, hey, guys, this is Paul. Um, if you see Tina, tell her to call me. Otherwise, I'm going to use this um, social security number. I nearly fell down the stairs. Anyway, I called, I, I'd also had a, um, a restraining order when I was um, living back in the States. I called the policeman and he said, you'd have to come back here to enforce it. And I called my friend and she said, why would you do that? What I suggest you do is you um, take that money and upgrade your Eurostar ticket to first class to go back to your new life. Why go back to the past? And that's what I did. Um, and, you know, continue to see this little Frenchman who was not my type. Thank God. <laughs> I have one friend. It's like when, when he met him, he's like, wow. Wow, that's not your usual thing, is it? <laughs> because you usually like them to drag you back to the cave by your hair. <laughs> anyway, um, came back. You know, it didn't happen just like that, but... 
got married, had my babies, and um, still would have this dream sometimes. But anyway, so um, everything was kind of hunky-dory until I got this Twitter message, which sent me down the mother of all rabbit holes. When I tell you nobody can do a rabbit hole like I can do a rabbit hole, I, so I started Googling Paul, right? And um, I put myself on dark mode, like when you go on Pornhub and you don't want anyone to find you. <laughs> like, I put, like, okay, no one can find me. And then I put his name in and he's got this whole new life and I'm Googling her and I'm Googling him. And um, I found out that he actually went to jail for domestic violence which really took me aback. Um, I still kept Googling, but um, anyway, so I call my friend Diana, who by now has, yeah, 30-something years of sobriety. And um, I said to her, I got this message. I really want to call her. And she said to me, because she's an adult, what is your motivation? why we have friends like this <laughs> I, I should have called someone else right I'd be like oh my god can I can you do it on speakerphone <laughs> that would have been you that'd be yeah that'd be you <laughs> she said what is your motivation I said well I just want to I'm curious you know she seems like she's doing really well she's married she's got kids and she said well good for her then seems like that's your update Ugh. um <laughs> No, um, I thought about it, and um, and I erased her message, and I closed my laptop, and um, it dawned on me that I hadn't had that dream about the open windows and doors for quite a long time. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, Tina. Yes, sir. That's your story. Yeah. And what a story it is. Yeah. I, even I have to agree with that. Yeah. 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 Oh, actually, so you were, you were just saying that you don't actually remember a lot of the telling of the story, which I thought was interesting. When it, when it finished, you said, I don't remember a thing. Yeah. <coughs> it's, um, I actually thought that I would do that thing that some people do after just going, oh, I should have done this. I should have said that. Why did I do this? What? I don't remember. Um, as as you will attest, I was rather um, scared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was only out of out of um, obligation to you because I said I'd be there, but I didn't go running off. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm definitely one of those big mouths that's kind of shy. So doing that definitely was something pretty big for me. Yeah, yeah. But I thought that I would self-criticize, but I actually came off of doing it so thrilled that I'd done it, but then not remembering the details. Mm. It did feel like uh, an important story, really. Mm. There, there are all kinds of stories at Spilling the Beans events, but this one, yeah, was was particularly poignant and that came across in the way the audience was reacting. Like, It's one of those pin drop stories, you know, everyone really was there and you had complete attention. It's funny you say that because had you just said to me, oh, it's pin drop, I'd be like, oh, stop. But actually one of the few things that I do remember at some point I looked around the room as I was speaking and I realized how the story was being perceived by people's faces 
Mm. Um, it actually moved me, but it was surprising to see um, just people were wrapped, but mouths open as well. Yeah. And, um, and at some point, I looked over to the right. I don't know if you remember this. I didn't look at you. Yeah, no, I know. Because I was scared <laughs> you're going to look at your clock and be going, come on now, girly. Um, but just next to you was a friend of mine. We've been friends for years, right? At least 10 years. And I looked over and she was um, just kind of blown away. Her mouth was open. And I realized that I've never told her how I ended up in Paris. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, it's not the sort of thing you go announcing to everybody. Yeah, yeah. But when I saw her face, I thought, oh, well, all right then. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's keeping secrets. That would be me. You were saying that your experience uh, was not as uncommon as the telling of those experiences is. Oh, my is. God, Jasper. Seriously. And, you know, uh, just I don't know what I said in the story. You know, I wasn't paying attention to myself. Um, I was kind of burying my head a little bit listening. But um, when it was happening, my first thought was to was to seriously just keep it to myself. You know, I went and got myself stalked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I was told to tell people, first of all, so that I could, you know, they would know to, to put a buffer around me. Mm. But also, you know, we, I think a lot of people tend to turn things that happen to them into a shameful experience, but there is nothing anybody has gone through that a whole lot of other people haven't gone through. And also this experience of, you know, we talk a lot about angry men, you know, there's a lot of angry men who just can't take no. And, um, and when you tell other people and then you hear, oh, my, that happened to my cousin. Oh, that happened to such and such. Oh, and I won't say who it was, but even that night at the storytelling, Somebody said to me, oh, my, my mom's best friend was killed by, oh, wow. by um, an ex or a, a boyfriend or a husband. You know, so someone within two degrees of separation. Your story is on the more vulnerable end of the scale. Yeah. Uh, and you shared it. And I take it that it was a positive thing for you. What did it do? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Um, no, it was positive, but the part of it that was positive, there are two things, I think. Um, the first thing is that I got over a fear. I would have said no just because I might be embarrassed standing up and speaking in front of people. I can perform behind the scenes and I can do things and that's not a problem. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty shy to yeah. do that. Yeah, so yeah. I was super happy that I did it. The other thing is it cemented it as a story and not what my life is right now, you know? It's it's not my life. Um, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we're, we're hosts today so i guess we have to say thanks everyone thank you everyone for listening yeah um, there we've got a website yeah we spilling do. the beans.fr what else have we got we've got an instagram okay spilling the beans underscore paris with an which at you should definitely follow yeah it's very good yeah. very entertaining highly yeah what else we got we've got a patreon we've got a Ooh. patreon page spilling the beans patreon 
And uh, if you want to be involved, if you want to be part of making this show happen, the podcast and the live show, you can come and become a patron of the show. Support us on Patreon. We've got several different tiers. You get lots of different little prizes. We'll be in close contact with you. And, uh, and when you come to Paris, if you come to Paris or if you live in Paris, you'll get to come and see the show. So That's pretty exciting. That is exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. All right. Okay. Well, that's episode three. Okay. Thanks Bye. so much, Tina. Thanks for being here with me. My pleasure. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. I think that's it. Yeah. Hopefully I pressed record. I'm going to go and check that out. Can you imagine? That would be such a me thing, though, honestly. No, it's recording. Oh, fuck that.